This is the second week in a row we've been in a series of messages called Cabin Fever. And we're going to jump into our time of Bible study now. So if you have a Bible, uh, turn with me to the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. And I'm going to give to you a message that I'm calling Hold On for Dear Life. Hold On for Dear Life from Habakkuk. If you don't know how to find Habakkuk, let me give you a pro tip. Go to Matthew, which is the first book in the New Testament, and then go to the left five books. So Habakkuk is the fifth to the last book in the Old Testament, and then you get to Matthew. That's how I find it. Uh, but if you're on a device where you can see us, which you no doubt are, unless you're listening to this on Spotify or on the iTunes podcast, you can just look at the verses on the screen. Habakkuk chapter 3, the title of the message is Hold On For Dear Life. Uh, we began last week talking about how Paul in jail wasn't going stir-crazy. And the origin of that phrase actually have to do with prison. People in solitary confinement can at times become mentally ill. And in England back in the day, they said that person got crazy because they were in the stir. And the stir was a nickname for prison. So stir crazy literally is I'm confined and it's getting to me. And we're all kind of feeling that. All of us to some degree can feel a little cabin fever. Now for many of our states going on six weeks in quarantine. It's like I'm turning Jack Nicholson's status up in here, up in here, a little red rum if you catch my drift, right? It's like, what do we do with that? Well, Paul says, hey, the cure is to see your confinement as being in Christ. He said, I'm not in chains, I'm in Christ. And if I'm in chains in Christ, then my chains are in Christ. So he's giving us a whole new way to look at it. He's saying, we can say, my quarantine is in Christ. My pandemic is in Christ. That's some encouragement for you this Sunday, just to know, or you're watching this on Monday or watching this on Wednesday, or you're watching this down the road at some point, months or weeks later, whatever you're facing today, because this situation is going to come to an end. This pandemic won't last forever, but guess what? Newsflash, there's going to be a new crazy thing. There's going to be a new hard thing. There's always going to be some new challenging chance to trust God until we get to heaven. So whatever you're facing today in Jesus, you can say that my situation is in Christ. And Paul told us we can always find silver linings. He said, I see that I'm in jail. And since I'm in jail, I shared the gospel with this soldier and he got saved. So he's pointing to the soldier going, if I hadn't have been sent into here, how would he have heard? He's telling us about Caesar's household getting saved and saying, maybe I was sent into prison so I could share the gospel with this person who would share it with that person. And eventually this super, in, super influential person in Caesar's government ends up getting saved. So what a wonderful thing for us to rejoice. All of us right now can think of something that we, uh, as a result of this situation, have found it was possible. I, I never would have spent so much time with my kids, or I wouldn't have been able to be in this position to read this book, or whatever it was, because of this. It recalibrated me. And I think that's one of the benefits is oftentimes there are good things that come as a result. But what Habakkuk is going to do is he's going to say, okay, Paul, I see you. You see good coming out of this bad. But what about when I can't find anything good? What if I'm looking around trying to find someone who got saved because of this, and there ain't, there ain't nobody that, that did that, I, that at least I know of? What do you do when you're going through something bad and nothing good that you can tell has come from it? Well, in that situation, you hold on for dear life. Verse 17, Habakkuk 3, though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no food, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, 
and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on my high hills to the chief musician with my stringed instruments. And Jesus, I just pray a special blessing on every single person, on every unique situation. You don't see crowds, you don't see multitudes, you don't see the cumulative tens and tens and tens of thousands of people listening to this message. You see every single person, you know their name, you know what they had for breakfast, you know what they're struggling with today. And I pray you'd give them peace right now in this situation, that like Habakkuk, they could choose joy in the midst of difficulty. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks back, I was uh, watching TV. It was actually a, a YouTube video, and it ended. And when the YouTube video ended, there's always that, you know, algorithm suggested options of, hey, you might want to watch this. And I always wonder, how do they pick those videos? And how do they almost always get it right? And I ended up, I don't remember what I was watching, but when it ended, it, it brought up this video of this guy who had gone, you know, hang gliding for the first time. And I know, I've never hang glided, and to my knowledge, I've never clicked anything anywhere that would indicate I would be the kind of person that would like a video about a guy who went hang gliding. But turns out YouTube, as always, was in fact correct. I did enjoy this video about this guy hang gliding so much. I enjoyed it so much that I wanted to share it with you. Check this out. True story. This is 2018. A guy named Chris Gursky. And he and his wife went to Switzerland, and he decided to jump off a mountain connected to a hang glider, or was he? Because as soon as they got off the ground, he felt the sensation of, I'm only hanging out by my hands. Turns out the instructor had forgotten to connect Chris's carabiner that should be going up to the hang glider, but instead is just hanging and dangling from the back of his harness. So he is literally powering only by his two hands, not falling to his soon swift death on the Swiss Alps below. You could see him struggling to hang on, eventually desperately only clutching at the pants of the hang glide instructor and uh, just thinking to himself, I hope I can hang on till we can land this thing. I mean, you see the left hand, he's got a vice grip and the hang gliding instructor is like, well, let me try and help you hold on to your grip here. Unbelievable to watch him white knuckle this thing. He hung on for an incredible two minutes and 14 seconds as they uh, tried to come down to a field where they could get a landing in. And it looks pretty gentle, but I'll let you know that we are at this point going 45 miles an hour when he thinks it's safe for me to jump. At which point, look at that. Oh my gosh, I'm sweating just watching this. He tumbles to a landing, breaking his wrist as he hits the ground. And then, we didn't show up, but the, the hang glide instructor comes in for the softest landing you've ever seen in your entire life. But not so much for Chris Gursky. But incredible to me that he didn't die. Incredible to me that, that he held on and didn't fall. And yes, I did get my snopes on and make sure this was not a fake. It, in fact, did happen. How incredible and how perfectly he illustrates what we have before us in the book of Habakkuk a book written by a man whose name literally means hold on. Wow. 
That's what Habakkuk means. It means embrace. It means don't let go. It means someone who hugs. Too soon, Levi. None of us have had a hug in, in six weeks. Okay, I get it. But, but what he was saying is I'm not going to let go. That's what his name actually means, and that is exactly the life that he lived. Like Chris Gursky, who when he was asked later on by reporters, what was going through your head? as you were dangling from this hang glider by the power of your grip. I mean, you try to hang on to a pull-up bar for two minutes and 14 seconds, and you will find there is a real struggle doing that. Matter of fact, med medical um, investigation later found he actually tore his bicep in his left arm from the dead weight of his body hanging for so uh, long on, on that left arm. But what he said, the two things he was thinking as he hung there was, number one, try and stay calm. He kept telling himself that, stay calm. And the second thing he told himself was, don't let go, hold on for dear life, which is exactly the reason that I think God has brought this broadcast into your life. I don't think it's an accident that you're watching this. I don't think that, that, uh, that God made a mistake. I think he has you listening to this message so you can hear those two things. Stay calm and don't let go. Hold on for dear life. And what was the situation that caused Habakkuk to need to write this? This has been called, by the way, the greatest confession of faith ever articulated the greatest confession of faith that's ever been spoken well the situation was he was looking at the world and saying if things aren't as they should be there had been a massive massive issue a civil war that led to the north and the south and israel being divided they were never meant to be divided and they were the north got dragged off into slavery into exile and it seemed like the southern tribes were going to follow suit he was just brokenhearted for his people. He was a priest by trade. He was by vocation a priest who led God's people in worship. And, and to see his people uh, given over to idolatry, the revivals that King Josiah had most recently led the people in had, were, were long, distant memories. The, the fires had, were not roaring in their spiritual walk. The fires were, were down to an ember. And he was just brokenhearted seeing his people so far from their faith. He was crying out and begging for God to revive uh, the, the people's spiritual faith. And that was not looking at all like it was something that was going to happen. And then the things that he mentions that we read. He talked about an agricultural disaster. To look out at fields, but not to see any crops. To see grapevines with no grapes. To see fig trees with no figs. To see olive trees, but no olives. To see empty pens that should hold sheep, but don't have any. To see... The, the, the barns were their stall after stall after stall, but no cattle in it. Now, let's translate that because the produce from the ground represented the portfolio of these people. So he's talking about opening up the Bank of America app to find out that you're overdrawn in every account. He's talking about checks bouncing. He's talking about your, your, your assets being liquidated. He's talking about your savings depleted. He's talking about you having to cash in your 401k. When he says there's no olives, there's no grapes, there's no, there's no cattle, he's saying, what are we going to do? Because it's not, the problem isn't there's no toilet paper at the grocery store. The problem is we don't have any money to buy any toilet paper if there was any. And so this situation for him is one that I think a lot of us in this time of economic uncertainty and massive unemployment and difficulty is one that we can relate to. He's telling us, what do we do when we find ourselves in a dark day? The answer is we choose to rejoice. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that joy is a decision. Joy, first point, is a decision. We're going to learn six things about joy today. The first is it's a choice that you have to make. It's not a feeling 
that, that comes to you. It's not uh, the, 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 the I, I'm so happy. I feel so joyful right now. That's amazing if and when it comes. But the reality is the frothy kind of a joy can't sustain you in the dark times of life. It's not the champagne suds. It's, it's the spikes that, 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 that come out of the snow tires that you put on so you don't fall off the road when you're driving in a blizzard up a mountain in the winter. It's, it's not this, you know, fun dip. I've got a candy stick. Ooh, it's delicious. I can put it in the powder. Mmm, that's strawberry. That's, that's not the joy we're talking about here. We're talking about the joy that can sustain you like a slab on grade, can cause a house to be able to withstand hurricane winds. That's the kind of joy that Habakkuk models. Come on, am I preaching? Good. Joy is a decision in the YouTube chats. Come on, say that. He's a, it's a decision. It's a decision. It's a choice that you make when there's no cattle, when there's no olives, when there's no money, when there's no job. It's a decision. It's then that joy matters. But notice, it's not just a decision. It's a decision that can be made in advance. A decision that can be made in advance. I think a lot of power comes from preloading a decision. Now, don't make me get my uh, swipe right hat on and start talking to you about how you should not wait to make a decision about your sexual boundaries until you're on that date. You got to make that decision in advance. You got to predetermine what you're going to do in the difficult day of temptation, or you're going to fail if you wait until everything's flaring and hormones are firing and you're in that moment and the chemistry in his eyes and you know, all the feels, right? You got to decide in advance what you are going to do and you aren't going to do with your body. Don't you wait till you're sitting at the computer to decide what websites you are going to visit and aren't going to visit in an era when all the porn sites are given free discounted, you know, uh, memberships to the porn. Uh, subscriptions that normally cost money. Why They're trying to get that hook set deep in your mouth in this time. Don't you dare wait until you're in a temptation situation to make a decision. And Habakkuk does the same thing. He says, you'll notice in verse 17, even though the fig tree may not blossom, meaning it's not at a situation where that's happening right now, but it could potentially hypothetically one day. He's not looking out into uh, a barn where there's no cattle. There's still cattle. What am I trying to say? The tree's still got fruit on him. He's still got money in the account. But he's hypothetically saying, even if it got worse and so worse and, 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 and badly enough that this was happening, my choice would still be joy. He's preloading a decision to joy off into the future in a worst case scenario hypothesis, which is what they say is one of the reasons that people are successful in accomplishing dreams versus those who just have good intentions but never follow through. I read some work this week written by Gabrielle Oettingen, and she's a, a professor at New York University, the author of the book Rethinking Positive Thinking, and one of the, the foremost respected voices in the science of dream fulfillment. There are a lot of people who have good dreams. I'm going to start a new business. I'm going to you know, go to New York and, you know, eventually start up a, a musical career, or I'm going to run a marathon, or I'm going to write a book, or whatever it is. A lot of people have dreams. She says that the, uh, the primary thing that, set, according to her research, that separates those who have good intentions versus those who actually accomplish what they set up to do is the failure of so many people to rub their plans against reality. I love that. Rub your plan against reality. So what does that mean? Well, she gives this acronym WHOOP, W-O-O-P. Come on in the chat. Someone say WHOOP, WHOOP, W-O-O-P. Here's what it stands for. Wish, outcome, obstacles, plan. Wish, 
outcome, obstacles, plan. Now, the first two are pretty self-explanatory. What is your wish? Well, my wish is to run a marathon, or my, my wish is to write a book, or my wish is to start this new company. Okay, great. What's the outcome? If you accomplish it, how will you feel? Well, I'll feel good, or I'll, I'll feel like I'm doing what I was created to do, or I'll feel like I've helped a lot of people. Okay, so you, you actually need to live there and think about it. You need to get enough of a good outcome that, that it causes you to be able to weather all the storms that are going to come. Most people stop there. All right, I'm ready to go start my, 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 my company, or I'm ready to go move to New York and start my singing career. Hold on a second. What obstacles will you encounter? This is where you rub the plan against reality. Oh, it's all nice and well to talk about running a marathon until you're mile 11, huffing and puffing, realizing that you, oh, I don't know, ate deep dish pizza for dinner last night for the past 15 years. You see, you see the point. What barriers are you going to hit against? Oh, I don't know, the fact that I'm generally out of shape and 26 miles is a long freaking way to run. And it's very nice to romantically think about living in New York and being a singer and a songwriter, right? Yeah, but you know what's really expensive in New York? Everything. And you know what's really hard? Getting attraction in the music industry where there are a billion people who sing better than you, who have dreams just like you, who are all applying for the same job that you are. So how can you rub some reality in your plan? You know, we talk about this on our staff a lot about, you know, we're, what we're going to do this webcast. What's it going to look like? What's the lighting going to be like? Is the internet robust enough? We're pulling off today broadcasting from Whitefish. We got worship in, in Polson. We got live chat moderators, right? You, have to, you can't just make a plan. You have to take that plan and push it up against some obstacles. What are the obstacles to writing a book? I don't know. How about writer's block, right? So then the most crucial thing, Gabrielle says, is that you then plan for what you're going to do when you hit each of those obstacles. When you come against those roadblocks, what's your pre-planned decision that you're going to do when you get there? This is Habakkuk, right? With all respect to Gabrielle, it was Habakkuk who said, whoop, there it is, long before she ever did. Because he's here saying, I wish I was seeing revival. I'm not. I'm longing for these things to happen. They're not happening. Great, I choose joy anyway. Oh, and even if it gets worse, what kind of worse? No money, I'm still going to choose joy. And what, if, what about agricultural shortages over here? Guess what? Still going to choose joy. Even though this happened, I will. He's saying if X happens, then Y is what I will do. And for him, Y is the same thing that you and I need to do, and that's to choose to rejoice. I choose joy. Joy is not an accidental, accidental feeling. It's an intentional decision to place your worship and well-being into something that can't be taken away from you. That's what he does. I rejoice in God, my Savior. I rejoice in the Lord. There's nothing wrong with taking joy from your car, job, hobbies, friends, all of those wonderful things, but those things can all be taken away from you. So take joy from everything that's a good gift from God, but don't base your joy on anything but God who is your salvation. And that's Habakkuk. Even if all gets taken away from me, God never can be taken away from me, and his salvation will always flow up and well up inside of me. What, what he's really telling us is, is that whenever we look at things in this world that aren't doing what they're supposed to do, we're to always resort back to what we were created to do. Because remember, a sheep pen is intended to hold sheep. And a grapevine is meant to grow grapes. Much like looking at footage of New York City right now, it's eerie. 
as you see a city that's meant to be hustling and bustling, to see the streets empty, it feels useless. It feels, it feels strange, much like it must be for you to you know, drive by the place where you work and see no one working there. To, to think about you know, uh, Disneyland right now, just sitting empty. It's meant to be full of joy and, and whimsy and make a dream wishes coming true, all those things, right? Proposals happening, just to see it empty. It's like, man, that's not right. And much of us right now are looking at our lives going, this isn't how it's supposed to be. So when the world isn't doing what it's supposed to do, don't join it. Do what you're supposed to do. And what are you supposed to do? You were created to worship. It's Matthew 21, one of my favorite verses. Jesus is being praised by children, which is so wonderful. And his enemies go, can you believe it? They're worshiping you. And he says, tell them to stop it, Jesus. Do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus says, verse 16, Matthew 21, yes, I hear them. And haven't you read in God's word? Tell me that's not sassy, by the way. Jesus is telling these guys who read the Bible for a living, hey, maybe you should read the Bible sometime. Because the prophets foretold that from the mouths of children and babies, I'll furnish a place of praise. I love that. Jenny and I really enjoy interior design and getting on house and looking at different things and, and, and appreciating different styles of, of design. And, you know, like this house. I mean, to think about my friend Eric who built it and chose for the steel to be around the fireplace and chose this TV. Why? Because it can turn into a painting and not be just a black screen and, and pick these tall windows and, and everything about it. The, the, the cement that's got heating in it, it was all built intentionally. It was all planned. Even these logs being placed in here, it's all, it's all been crafted to create a certain feel and sense of aesthetic. And the Bible says that God has always been looking for a place for his praise to be. Why? Because our praise gives him a place to come into. Our, our praise literally says, when, when, when it says that, that God inhabits the praises of his people, what that means is he pulls up a chair and sits down. So when you or I, who were created to glorify him and enjoy him forever, when we worship him, we allow him to furnish a place for his praise to dwell. And as his praise dwells there, he inhabits the praises and sits down. It allows there to be in our situation, which is nothing that we want more now than to have God with us, to have God near to us, to know that God's blessing our homes and in our lives and in our finances and all, all of our difficulties. And so what you choose to do in praising him allows him to furnish a place for his praise that he then can inhabit and be with you in your difficulty. And I love the idea of him being with us in this trial, but that's a decision that you have to make. All right. Secondly, this joy sparkles in times of confusion. That's our second word, confusion. Make the decision, especially when you're feeling confusion. I haven't intended to make Habakkuk seem larger than life in this. Yes, it's an amazing, bold choice he made to worship God. But if you read the rest of the book, you really see his human side come out. You know, even his name Habakkuk, meaning I'm going to hold on to you. You almost get the picture that he's saying to God, I don't like what you're doing and I don't understand your plan, but I'm not going to let go of you. Much like Jacob who said, I'm not letting go of you till you bless me. Habakkuk was, was hugging the situation out, holding on for dear life, not letting go of God. Even when God answered him, Habakkuk hated what God told him because I'll have you know that Habakkuk asking God, why aren't you doing anything? Your people are wicked. They need to be revived. They need salvation. God says, I am going to do something. I'm going to bring judgment on them. 
And Habakkuk's like, that's exactly the opposite of what I want you to do. I want you to save them so they get forgiven. You're saying, I'm going to work. So really, it shows us that the only thing worse than not getting what you want sometimes is getting what you want. Habakkuk wanted God to do something. was mad he did nothing. And then when God did something, Habakkuk didn't like that either. And so really, he was confused. And at one point, he says, are you not from everlasting? Like almost questioning, are you, are you not good? Because that doesn't seem like a good plan that you're doing. I don't understand what you're up to. The, the, the reality is that him knowing why God was doing what he was doing wasn't something that was going to help him out. Why? Because our brains are too small to fathom the bigness of what God's doing from beginning to end. And your greatest need is not information, it's revelation. Learning the specifics of God's next steps made Habakkuk even more confused. What actually helped him was when God showed him how great he was. And he got a glimpse. And if you read the rest of the book, you see this picture of him seeing God majestically and full of power and, and full of might. And, and, and that prophetic demonstration of his ability to do great things was the thing that gave Habakkuk the most encouragement. So his understanding God was not the issue. His worshiping God was. I choose to rejoice even when I'm angry, sad, confused. There's one point when he says, I cry out to you and I even scream out to you. Some have said that the book started with a sob, then went to a scream before it ended with a song. And you might be in some, somewhere in one of those you know, categories or, or right there in the middle. There's a range and a spectrum of, of what it looks like to choose to trust God. Yeah. You could be angry at him today. That's okay. He can handle, handle that. You might be screaming out in frustration or in, in grief or in desperation. That's okay. But give your pain to God. Give your pain, give your frustration to God and say, I'm not letting go of you. I don't understand it. I don't even like it, but I trust you. I worship you. And in my confusion, I give you my worship. Thirdly, there's repetition. His decision wasn't made just once. It was made repeatedly. In verse 18, you'll notice, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. It's over and over again. Why? Because repetition reveals importance. That's one of the reasons why there's four gospels. There's not just one gospel. We're told this story, but hey, don't miss this. Hey, don't miss this. Hey, do you hear what Luke said? I'm John. Yeah. Well, I can tell you the same thing again. Why? We're, we're wanting to not miss the main thing. It's, it's why uh, teachers who are gifted repeat themselves a lot. Let me say that again. So, so what you see in Habakkuk is, is I'm going to make this decision, but I know that my decision today is not enough for tomorrow. I'm going to need to make it again and again and again, and so will you. It's good that you trusted God the day you got saved. It's good that last Sunday God spoke something to you in his word, but you need to wake up tomorrow and do it again. And when you do that enough times over and over again, eventually you become low maintenance in your faith. The devil would love for all of us to be fair weather friends. Fair weather friends is basically where you live your life constantly needing God to prove his love for you. All right, God. What, 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 what can you do for me today? And almost as, as though we're each day trying to build a case for, or, or allow God really to build his case as to why he should get our worship. And, uh, and that's, that's basically what the devil thought Job was like. He said, Job doesn't really love you. He just is in it for what you're going to do for him. And if you turn your back on him, he will be the first one out the door turning his back on you. And Job proved that, no, he, he wasn't just in it for the perks. He had a low maintenance faith. Uh, he said, though you slay me, I will follow you, and I trust you no matter what. Job was like the opposite of the princess and the pea. 
right? Who, you know, you, you know that story, there's a pee under her mattress so she couldn't sleep. And didn't matter how many mattresses they put on, on, on top of uh, the mattress below it, she still could feel it. A hundred mattresses later, she still felt that tiny pee. What God wants us to see is that Habakkuk and Job both model Paul in prison, uh, a faith where you put a hundred peas under a single mattress, they don't flinch at all because their faith is low maintenance. And God doesn't need to come through today to show you why he should be your God. He's never auditioned for anybody, uh, but he did send his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you to prove his love for you once and for all. And if you will repeat that kind of, I'm going to joy, I'm going to joy, I'm going to joy, like Paul said in verse 18 of Philippians 1, I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. And in all, there's 19 mentions of joy in Philippians. Once you do that enough times, it eventually becomes honed into your muscle memory where it doesn't really matter what's happening. You're not basing your joy on what's happening today. Circumstances don't change your joy because circumstances didn't give you your joy. God gave you joy and enough reasons to joy forever because of what he did when he sent his son to die for you on the cross. And that repetition builds you to a place of power. All, all that to, to say... When we get those things into a groove, we then get to encounter the phenomenon of joy. Hey, I'm so sorry for interrupting the message, but I just wanted to talk to you for a quick second about Fresh Life Leadership College. We're currently taking applications for our fall semester, which begins in August. And you can get all the information and application and all those details at freshlife.church college. Maybe you or someone that you know would want to pursue a degree that would help you both in ministry or marketplace opportunities by studying alongside the staff and dedicated impact team right here at Fresh Life Church. And the college, which is in beautiful Montana, would be an amazing place for you to be, to live, to serve, and to grow in your relationship with God, but also pursue what He has for you next. Pray about it, look at the website for more information, and hopefully we'll see you out here. I love this. This is really the whole reason I preach this sermon, to show you when you make that decision, even when you're confused and you do it enough times, eventually you see what Habakkuk did, that your circumstances don't necessarily change, but you always do. For joy changes you. It changes you, much like King Tyrion learned. Well, my family and I are going back through the Chronicles of Narnia. I love these stories. Uh, we've been doing something that we've never done before. We'll put the, the Kindle... Kindle book on my phone on the TV. You know, you can like airplay your, your phone on the TV. And then we'll uh, take turns reading through the pages. So I'll read a page, then Jenny, I'll read a page. And it kind of keeps us all switched in. It's like combining TV with reading. I'm not sure if that's even good, but it works for us. And it's been really fun to, to do that and to laugh at each other when we can't pronounce uh, C.S. Lewis's old, you know, English words. And, and, and Clover did not want to say ass because there's a donkey in it. And she was super confused why that would be in C.S. Lewis's book. Anyhow, there's this great part where King Tyrion in the last battle ends up tied to a tree. And everything in the world is, is dark. And he's been beaten and he's got blood running down his lip and he's tied to the tree. And in the, in the middle of all that, he prays. And I love this, uh, what he says in this moment. He calls out, Aslan, Aslan, now in the book, Aslan represents Jesus. Aslan, Aslan, come and help us now. But the darkness and the cold and the quietness went on just the same. Let me be killed, cried the king. I ask nothing for myself, but come and save all Narnia. And still there was no change in the night or the wood, but there began to be a kind of change inside Tyrion. Without knowing why, he began to feel a faint hope. 
and he felt somehow stronger. Still tied to the tree, still bleeding from his lip, in the same position he was in a minute ago. But now he's got hope. But now he feels stronger because he chose to hold on for dear life. That's the phenomenon of joy. Somehow he began to feel stronger. That's what Habakkuk says can happen to you. What do you mean? He says, even though I will, even though I will, even if the worst happens, even if your greatest fear comes to pass in that situation, no olives, no cattle, no sheep, I still got salvation. All right, we're back in business. I will rejoice in that situation. What happened? He said, what, 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 what on earth is happening to my feet? He made my feet like the deer's feet. You know those centaur, mythical creatures, like half horse, half dude, flowing hair, blowing in the wind? Did you see Onward, right? Uh, Fabio, like hair blowing in the wind, right? The, the crazy thing about what Habakkuk's saying is, I somehow felt stronger. And what, what's that? My feet, they're becoming like deer's feet, where I was slipping down the mountain trying to get up this. God, why would you let this happen? I'm falling, I'm falling, I'm falling. Now all of a sudden, I got, I got deer's feet. I got deer's feet that can grip and don't slip and can make my way up to the, the high hills. God made my feet like the deer's feet. Now I got traction. Now I got a firm foundation. Now I'm ready to go where God's called me to go. I'm going to, whatever you want to do, if you want to bring judgment, great, you're God. If you want to not answer my prayers the way I thought they should be answered, that's cool. You're going to do something so powerful that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth like right now the waters currently cover the face of the earth. So, so I'm in for that. I'm in for your glory. I'm in for whatever it takes for you to get your kingdom across. Great. You now have made my feet like the deer's feet. And I think that's the phenomenon that takes place. This remarkable, observable outcome of choosing joy is that all of a sudden you now have the ability to run and not grow weary. And like a, if you go to the national parks like Glacier or Yellowstone or Grand Tetons and you see these, these bighorn sheep you see these mountain goats. They, they, they run up stuff, up stuff that's vertical. Like, how do you run up those craggy cliffs? That's what he's saying now I can do. Before, I was like basically trying to get up in flip-flops, but now I got deer feet. I'm able to do this because I'm running on my high hills. My wife Jenny preached that text one time, and she said, God gives me strength to walk in my high heels, right? Now, I don't know exactly what that's like. I understand it's level of difficulty times 10 to do that. I don't think many of you have been in your high heels lately, uh, but, but God is going to give you the strength to do what's impossible because of his spirit upon you. Therefore, we can rejoice even more when life gets harder because we're just getting new chances to run up steep mountains with our dear feet that he gives us. Romans 5, Paul puts it this way. Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our outer pressures will develop in us a patient inner endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character, and proven character leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy, because we now can experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Tell me that is not worthwhile facing chemotherapy, facing unemployment, facing a, a horrible situation where someone in your life has tragically died too soon, where you now look at this cliff and go, I don't, I don't know how, but all of a sudden the Holy Spirit transforms your feet into the feet of a deer to where you can walk and even run in these high places. And the greater the pressure 
the greater the treasure. The more we will have occasion to rejoice and the blacker the night becomes, the more joy will sparkle and shine in our hearts like diamonds that show up. And what happens when you have that phenomenon? Well, then you turn to other people and you want to make a contribution. Let me talk about the contribution of joy for a second. Joy is never selfish and joy is never stingy. When you realize the joy of the Lord is your strength, your initial and, and, and swift reaction is to always try and think of who else needs that joy. And that's what Habakkuk did. Theologians point out that the language he uses of harvest language, because it should be harvest time, olives and cattle and crops. Crops come out of the ground at harvest time. So he's using language of harvest. And then the rejoicing in God pivot hearkens back in the way he uses the language as a priest to talk about first fruits. Now, Habakkuk, as a priest, knew all about first fruits because the people were called by God when they had a crop to bring the first fruits to the storehouse, that there might be food in God's house to do the work of God and to do the benevolent ministry of sharing with other people. And Habakkuk would have facilitated that. So, of course, that language would have been natural for him. So the language he's using suggests that he's saying, even in hard times, my mind is still on a mentality to resource God's kingdom. And that even when I barely have enough to, to keep going myself, I'm still going to be uh, contributing generously to the work that God wants to do. And I think that's going to be true in our hearts. And many times it has to be by faith. And that's really why he calls it to be first fruits. If you wait till the end of the month and look back and see how much money you made that month and give the 10% that way versus you're from the very beginning, from the get-go, the first fruits of, of the month, when it takes faith to give, when it's scary and hard, but that we still, instead of clenching down on our finances, continue to still uh, have that mentality. What are we doing? We're contributing generously with joy. But that's not all. Habakkuk wasn't just talking about financial resources. He was also talking about sharing the lessons he learned, i.e., we're today reading the book of Habakkuk because he learned all this stuff and he was kind enough to keep a journal and keep a log and send it out into the world. And that, by the way, is one of the reasons I'm so excited for next week for the Fight to Flourish series. One of the things that having read the book, I will tell you will impact you tremendously is my wife graciously enough opened up many of her journal entries that she wrote very honestly Scream if you got a scream type, cry if you got a cry, from a sob to a scream to a song. And she, in the Fight to Flourish, gives many of the journal entries and lessons she learned in the most difficult days she's ever faced and some of the current issues she's still dealing with. Being married to me, among them. And she, in the book and in the message series, is going to allow you to get to do what we're doing to Habakkuk's book and go, wow, your life's an open book. And I'm, I'm encouraged to know that I'm not the only one who feels this way sometimes. Here she is, a woman of God, but being real and honest. And we're going to learn from her. She's contributing because of the comfort she's received. Habakkuk, though, didn't just give resources financially and a book. He also, if you'll notice, ended the chapter with this statement. To the chief musician, this is verse 19, with my stringed instruments. What is he doing? As a priest, he was over temple worship and over the gatherings and what the songs would be sung by the different priests. And he says, as he finishes this book, take all this stuff that I've learned and set it to music. Set my guitar out, because when I come back, I'm going to be putting together a worship song for the people of God to be able to sing. We, we should always be singing the lessons we've learned. We should be taking the revelations of God's goodness and glory, what he's brought us through, what he's done in the past, what he's going to do in the future, and who Jesus is, and setting that stuff to music, and then bringing it to the people of God so they can look to Jesus and be transformed by these songs. What, what are we doing? 
He is helping furnish a place for praise in the mouth of God's children based on the lessons that he has just had to claw his way through. He's chosen joy again and again and again. God showed up, and now let's set it to song, contributing something for us to sing based on the hard things that he had faced. And I think that's exactly what God has for us to constantly be doing. You're not the first to struggle, and you're not going to be the last So look to others, how they've contributed, and then take those lessons that you learn and contribute it to the greater story of what others have done as well. In verse 4, God told Habakkuk, this is chapter 2, write down the vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. In other words, God's saying, don't lose any of these lessons. Keep them so that other people can benefit by them. This whole miniseries, Cabin Fever, has come really as a result of God telling me for us, our Fresh Life online family and church, to focus in on joy for these weeks, to really let joy shine out. And and the reason that uh, I feel this is so important is this idea that the joy that's in you isn't just for you. Yes, God wants you to choose joy, but that privilege of joy should always pivot out to the responsibility of showing and sharing that joy for the benefit of other people. All right, well, we're going to end this message with the person of joy. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's a decision and a confusion and a repetition and then a phenomenon. But, but lastly, there's a person of joy. And good news, that person is not you. You don't need uh, to have all the pressure that comes from you needing to perfectly carry that joy to the world. It is a little intimidating to see Habakkuk's resolve, the greatest confession of faith in all of history, I will choose joy even with no olives. I will choose joy. And and we almost get this like George Washington crossing the Potomac kind of like hands on hips and, you know, chiseled jaw. And I am Habakkuk. I have two K's in my name and I choose joy. And I approve this message, by the way. And we're like, man, that's, that's, that's a lot, Habakkuk. Could you ease it back a little bit? Because I'm just struggling just to even do the dishes and, and brush my teeth. And I yelled at my kids last week. And I just feel like a hot mess. And, and let me encourage you with this idea. Habakkuk didn't perfectly live out the stuff that he's telling us that he wanted to do. He had low moments. He had moments of doubt. He had moments where he almost accused God of not being real. So, I mean, there's a very humanness to this. But, but again, Habakkuk isn't the person of joy. Jesus is. And the book of Habakkuk is all about Jesus. We know that from Luke 24, where Jesus on the road to Emmaus. We talked about this on Easter Sunday, right? If you're on Spotify, go back two episodes uh, to the show on the road. And Jesus in Luke 24 said, you know the prophets and you know the books of Moses? They're all about me. You probably think this song is all about me. Jesus is like, yeah, it is. This song is all about me. In, In fact, the entire Old Testament just pointed forward to me. So, What that means is that day on the road, he talked to them about Habakkuk, and he showed that he is the person who perfectly embodied joy when everything was taken from him. That we know of, Habakkuk never had a situation where everything was pried from him that he had, and he had to die with nothing. But Jesus faced that, and he did it for you. And Hebrews says he did it with joy on his mind. This is chapter 12, verse 2 of Hebrews. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and I sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I am so excited to tell you about this. Jesus faced everything Habakkuk hypothesized could happen. Everything that can go wrong did go wrong. Jesus didn't deserve anything he faced, but his life was taken from him. His friends abandoned him at Calvary's Hill. The soldiers even took his clothes off of his body, stretched him out. No olives, no cattle, no sheep. Are you kidding me? And joy was what he chose. What words did he say on the cross? My God, my God. What did Habakkuk say? Even if that happened, I still will rejoice in my God, my God. Habakkuk's a picture of Jesus. What he said I would hope I would do in that situation is what Jesus did do. So the person of joy is Jesus. The pressure's off for you and me to be perfect specimens of joy. The pressure is on for us to trust in Jesus who already did it for us on our behalf. And joy was on his mind as he hung there. What joy? Your joy. For the joy set before him, the joy he knew could be yours if you trusted in him and walked in him and allowed his joy to shine in your heart. That kind of a joy will change your life forever. Not the pressure of you trying to be perfect, but trusting in the one who is perfect. Yeah. Now to end where we began, I want to bring you back to Chris Gursky. Remember, he went to Switzerland with his wife to go hang gliding. They didn't plug him in. They didn't connect him. And as a result, he had to hang on for dear life and almost fell to his death, but, but fortunately did not. You know, what was crazy to me in researching this was coming across an article from CNN that a year later, after he had healed up his bicep and his wrist was, was well, him and his wife got back on an airplane, flew once again from Florida back to Switzerland. Why? Because he wanted to stand on the same mountain he had stood on before, the one that he had jumped off, not connected to anything but by his hands to that hang glider, and he wanted to do it again. And in fact, look at this picture. He chose once again to conquer that demon and to go hang gliding. The most incredible thing to me in the world is when interviewed and they said, what was that instructor's name? He said, I will not name him because I will not shame him. He made a mistake, a very bad mistake, yes. And no, he did not go hang gliding with that same instructor again. With a different person, he went. One of the best hang gliders in the world offered to take him. Talk about encountering, running toward the roar in that situation. But he said, I will not name him. I will not shame him. They said, well, well how much did you get in the, the settlement, you know, the lawsuit inevitably that took place? He said, I did not sue him. There was no litigation. He said, I, I didn't want to sue anybody. All I wanted to, was to go hang gliding. And so he went back to that mountain. Why? Because even though he had been hurt, even though he had fallen, even though someone had done something wrong to him, he still wanted to fly. And I think that's the sweetness possible when we choose joy. When we choose to look at Jesus, what he went through, what he did, what he faced, that he did that for you, you're going to become a person who's sweet and, and, and not salty, even when life has been bitter. Because Jesus went through worse, and he did it for you. And you're going to still keep climbing those high hills. Why? Because you still want to fly. So you're not just someone with feet like a deer. You're also someone with wings like an eagle. And as you keep trusting in God, you're going to be able to scale those high hills and keep leaping off into new seasons, into new vistas, into new updrafts, into a new breath of the Holy Spirit, blowing you to the places that he wants you to go to take you to do the things he's caused you to do in Jesus' name. Yes. And Father, we do pray for those kind of anointings on us. 
if you could, just while you're watching, I know this is a little bit weird, but maybe you're driving in your car and this is playing through the, the system there. Uh, could you just touch your lips and, and just commit because of Jesus to letting your mouth be a place of praise for God this week? May your lips, the words you speak, the songs you sing, may your mouth furnish a place for God to sit down and enjoy a seat at the table of your life. Help us to not speak words of death, Jesus, but words of life. Help us build up our families, our teams. Help us to build up ourselves, to encourage ourselves. Could you now, I know this is weird, but could you touch your feet and just pray for a blessing of your feet to become like the feet of a deer this week? That as you run, you would be able to run the race of faith without slipping, without falling, and that you would be able to scale high hills that seem impossible to you. This week's going to have lots of moments that are really hard, but when you have feet like the feet of a deer, you're going to scale and dance and sing upon these high hills, and you're going to soar with wings like an eagle. And just make sure you remember to sanitize your hands later because you've been touching your feet and I had you do your, your, your lips first just for that reason. But I want to close this message with an invitation for anybody who listening to this hears this and goes, man, I want a joy like that. I want a faith like that. I want a power like that. And I want to tell you all of this can be yours, but not by you, like I said, resolving more this week. I'm going to this week do better. I'm going to, I'm going to trust God more. It's about what Jesus has done for you. It's about his finished work on the cross. And the Bible says because of his death, burial, and resurrection, he's taking care of everything that needs to happen in order for you to have a relationship with God. And now he stands at the door of your heart and he knocks. We had someone knock at our door this week and ding-dong ditch something and the door knocked and, and then we opened it and there was no one there. There's just a little gift on the on the front door, an invitation to a scavenger hunt, actually. And I, I think about how we have a choice every time a door knocks. Do we open it or do we not? Now we have apps where we can see who's at the door. Well, you don't have to wonder and you don't have to have a ring or a nest installed. I can tell you who's at the door. Jesus is at the door. He wants to come into your heart. He wants to come into your life. He wants to furnish a place of praise for his presence to dwell in your home. But you have to invite him in. And we're believing and praying that as you listen to this message, if you're not a person who knows Jesus to live inside your heart, that you would make that decision. And on the authority of God's word, I can tell you right now, if you ask for him to forgive you, he will. If you ask for him to be your Lord, he will not turn you away. If you ask for him to come in your heart and to allow joy to shine forth from your life so you can run on some high hills this week, he will come in. In fact, I believe it's just for that reason that God has drawn you to this moment, listening to this on Spotify or YouTube or Facebook. He loves you and will save you, but you must confess your sins, believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead and turn from those sins, turning to him in faith. And then you will watch this life transform into a journey of discovery, watching his plan unfold itself in glorious ways. Would you pray with me? Bowing your head, closing your eyes. And if you're ready to make this decision to give your life to Jesus, pray these words with me. Pray them out loud, but mean them in your heart. Dear Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I can't fix myself. I turn from my sins. I turn to you. Please come into my heart. Make me brand new. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the resurrection. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Hey, Fresh Life family, it's so good to be with you today, uh, worshiping with you from my home to your home. Uh, so thank you for having me. I know Pastor Levi just preached an amazing word about worshiping in the midst of every season and how joy comes out of that, how joy is found just in God's presence, no matter what's going on around us, no matter whether or not we see fruit in that season or not. And um, I know that to be so true for my life. In fact, I wrote this song out of a season where I wasn't seeing fruit of what I was praying for. And I, I was frustrated and I was finding my heart being so torn between uh, being so obsessed with what I was getting or not getting from God uh, versus just being thankful for his presence. And I wrote this song just coming back to that thankfulness, that joy in his presence. And one thing I do know is true in this season is that God is with us and God is for us. And thank God for that, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God. Nothing can take away his presence. You can take away so many things from us right now, but nothing can take us away from the presence of God. So there's joy in his presence today. I pray that right now, wherever you are in your home, uh, in your car, or in your hospital room, wherever you may be, that you just feel surrounded by the presence of God, that your family feels surrounded by the presence of God today. So let's just worship together with this song.
God bless you guys.